Howdy again. This is Perry Noble, and this is the sixth message at the New Spring Leadership Conference. We finished the day with Pastor Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Stephen's big encouragement was do whatever Jesus tells you to do. He does a lot of explaining about that, and it's an unbelievable message. It was a great way to end the day, so here's Pastor Stephen Furtick. Thank you guys so much. Man, I, I really hope that you're feeling full right now, like your faith is just really sky high, and I hope you feel the power of God just coursing through your spiritual system. And um, I want to say a few words before I get into my message um, about Perry Noble, and uh, it may feel a little bit intimate for you to watch me say these things to him, but I've had them on my heart for a while, and um, I did not ask his permission to share these things with you from the stage, um, but I wanted to say a few things about my friend, Pastor Perry Noble, um, and I'll tell you why I want to share it publicly. Um, I was going through some of the different people that follow me on Twitter the other day and some of the people that I follow. And I had never really taken time to go through it. And uh, I was looking through different people's picture on Twitter and uh, just noticing, you know, how good-looking everybody is that follows me. But then when you click on their picture, sometimes when the picture gets bigger, they don't look as good anymore. Sometimes people look better from far away. And you click on the picture, and when you get to see it up close, it doesn't look as good as it does from a distance. And I think that's the perception that a lot of people have of people whose ministries they admire on a public level. And one thing I love about Perry Noble is the closer that you get to him, the more you respect Jesus in him. The closer you get to him, the more integrity you notice. It's true, man, because um, he shared with me about everything that one pastor can share with another in great transparency, vulnerability. And um, if you can have one friend uh, that means as much to you and is as good to you as Perry has been to me. And I'm not talking about he's good to me like because I can do something for him. When, when our church had four people, he would take us out to eat and bring his whole staff and pay and make them available and answer questions and just pour into me. When they opened this building and I heard they had 7,000 people in attendance, we had 15 people on our church plant team at that particular point in time. And he told me, um, it won't be long. You'll be experiencing the same kind of momentum. You'll be in the middle of your own move of God. And he helped me believe that God could use my life, you know? Because I don't know that I would have had the faith to trust God the way I've trusted God over these last five years that we've had this church if I didn't have a big brother whose faith I could borrow. Sometimes you need to borrow somebody else's faith until you can get enough of your own. You can actually live off of secondhand faith for a little while until you grow in maturity and strength. And watching what God has done in Anderson 
has been the fuel for me to believe God to do the impossible. And Perry, I just want to tell you from the bottom of my heart that I hate you for making me follow all these other speakers. (laughs) Other than that, never had a better friend than you. And I want to tell you guys something. For some reason, I think it's somewhat out of fashion for us to show honor to other speakers. It's somewhat trendy to act like we're too cool for school because we have so much access and there is so much word of God available to us that we can come to something like this and forget how fantastic it is. The only analogy I know how to give you is when I was a teenager, I used to work in a firework stand and my friends would say to me, that's a dream come true. What a great job. You get to work with fireworks all day long and I bet you get to get free fireworks. But the truth is I hated fireworks because after you stand in the fireworks stand for 16, 18 hours a day at two different seasons in the year and people come up and want to ask you, what does that one do? And you tell them, well, it you know, goes up in the air and it blows up. And then what does that one do? Well, it goes up, it spins around, makes colors, it blows up. What does that one do? It goes up in the air. They all blow up. That's all they all do. And after all day of telling people about something that used to be fascinating, used to be phenomenal, you can actually become numb to the very thing that you should be mesmerized by. Doesn't it happen in church work a lot that we get so familiar with the fireworks That what used to excite us, that what used to amaze us, that what used to blow our minds, that what used to completely captivate our attention becomes so familiar that we take it for granted. So I just felt like before I said anything else today, I wanted us to give Jesus Christ honor for what he's spoken into our lives, for how he has met with us in this auditorium, for how he has given us his Holy Spirit by which he interprets his word. I'm so grateful for the opportunity that we've had today to worship him and to lift him up and that he would meet with us and tabernacle with us and allow us to be in his presence. Let's don't ever become so familiar with the fireworks that we forget how phenomenal this is. Let's don't ever get so close to this that we lose sight of how special this is. And I wanted to do something just to celebrate Perry's first official leadership conference. And so I was like, I'm releasing this book Tuesday, and I totally want to pimp it so I can sell it. But I wanted to be able to do something that would be a blessing to all the conference attendees in order to stand with Pastor Perry and the New Spring team And so I asked the publisher, can we give everybody at the conference a discount on the book? And then we were like, well, some people might not want to buy the book at all, but they might be good people, but they might just not know how great the book is yet. And so then I was like, well, can we give away some copies of the book to special people? And we kept exploring this thing, and it turns out that, uh, and I'm so excited to tell you this, we were actually able to get a free copy of my book for every single one of you who are here today and you're going to get it when you leave and I hope you enjoy it and so you'll get it on your way out and I'm really excited to put it in your hands and um, I'm really not giving it to you I'm giving it to Perry because it's his conference and then I'm hoping that it will bait you to buy many more on Amazon on Tuesday when it releases I'm just being honest so please take this, read it and then buy more because that's the whole reason I'm giving it away. That and I love you. 
Please turn in your Bible. I want to read two passages to um, John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And uh, while you're turning there, I want you to begin to think about if there's one theme of what God has been speaking to you today. Because you've heard a plethora of different approaches and you've encountered a variety of different personalities. But if there's like one impression or like a sentence, or a word, or a call, or a challenge, or an angle, or illumination. If there's just like one thing, this is what I think God is saying today. What I hope to do, and Andy's going to come in tonight and say something so intelligent that it'll clean up whatever mess I make. And what has already been said is so good that all I have to do is get this thing across the goal line without fumbling it. And I'm going to try not to do anything real cute. You know, sometimes you see people try to get real cute and they end up dropping the ball at the two-yard line. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to run this thing straight across. And I'm going to try to get in the flow of what already is going on in your heart. Because at a conference like this, at this point, it's almost like you want people to shut up so you can take what you've already got and start to work it out. You have enough notes already to change your city. You have enough notes already we could eradicate poverty with the notes we have right now from today. You have enough notes right now to build the campus to start the service. And so all I want to do is maybe take the general inspiration that you've already received and boil it down to one point of practical application that you can live out. And there's a passage that I think we can hang this whole deal on that I've just been reading and studying. And there are two passages, actually, that kind of go together. So I'll read both of them, and I'm going to give you four points, and, uh, and we're out of here. Do you have room in your gut for one more message before I get started? Um, John chapter 2 is the famous passage where Jesus turns water into wine. I'm only going to read the verses up to the point where he turns the water into wine. And so we'll read together John chapter 2, verse 1. Let's stand to our feet in honor of the reading of God's word. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Wine being symbolic of the Holy Spirit and this banquet is symbolic of the church. Let our churches never run out of wine. Let us never run out of the joy of the Lord. Let us never run out of passion for Christ. Let us never run out of wine. I had this experience going through the airport the other day and I was going through security and they were totally like, feeling me up and checking everything and wanted to throw something away because it was a liquid and it was over six ounces. And I thought about the first time that the Wright brothers ever got an airplane off the ground, how magnificent that experience must have been. And I had this thought going through the airport because everybody was so miserable and everybody seemed so angry. And so I thought to myself going through the airport, how did we manage to take something that was meant to be so magnificent and make it so miserable? And I wonder if God ever looks down on his church and compared to what was going on on the day of Pentecost 
and, and compared to what was going on when, when the believers had no possessions of their own, but they had everything in common. I wonder if God ever looks down on his church and wonders, how did they take something that was meant to be so magnificent and make it so miserable? Let's get our wine back. Let's get our joy back. Let's get our vision back. Let's get our compassion back and do great things for God. So they run out of wine. May that never happen in our churches. But Jesus steps in. And performs a miracle. And here's how it goes. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants. Here's my key verse. Do whatever he tells you. One translation says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Okay, now go to uh, Mark chapter 11. Did you enjoy Pastor Judah Smith? That's LeBron. Don't go back home and try to play like him. You can't. Don't do it. You can't. You can't do it. He came to my church and thought about moving my membership to Seattle, (laughs) sending my tithe to the city church, the city.org. Mark chapter 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. If God is telling you to do something and people are telling you it's never been done, it may be because God left it for you to do. Don't be afraid of doing things that nobody's ever done. So, all right, so Jesus gives them an instruction to go steal this colt. Truly, this is, this is the context. I'm not making that up. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell them the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a cold outside in the street tied at a doorway. Of course they did, because mark this down. When you do as Jesus says, it'll be just like he said it was. Every time he tells you what to do, he's already made provision for the preparations that he's asking you to make. And so this is, this is the part I can relate to. Some people standing there, verse 5, asked, What are you doing? Untying that colt. And you're going to go back home, and you're full of vision, and you're full of wanting to, you know, transform strippers into, you know, children's ministers in Las Vegas because you heard Pastor Judd and talk about how Glenn Beck is a damn Mormon from Mark Driscoll. And you go back to Alabama, and you start talking that stuff, right? And you get back to where you're going. I don't think he actually said that word, but he did cuss. And I don't normally cuss, but in that context, I was quoting him. And you're going to try to take some things out of this context. And the general response of everybody watching you is, what are you doing? Because they didn't hear what you heard. And so everybody's looking around, wondering what's going on. And I like to say this, if nobody has laughed at the size of your vision lately, you're not dreaming big enough. So, what are you doing untying that cult? What are you doing starting that campus? What are you doing doing that style of music? What are you doing changing up and shifting up? And this is, this is the verse that I wanted to tie to the verse in John 2. They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. The greatest skill that you need to learn in your leadership and the phrase that you need to memorize and make a part of your vocabulary, Jesus told me to. That phrase will get you into more trouble than any other phrase you can utter. But it will also be the phrase that will save your life and take you to 
higher levels than you ever imagined in God. Spirit of God, I pray that you would take my attempt now to preach your word and translate what you put on my heart to say into the specific instruction that you want these people to hear. Encourage their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, Back up to that verse I read in in John 2 when Jesus' mom made him perform the miracle and she said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. I was just noting a couple of things about that. And uh, seriously, I have been rewriting the message all day because I want to make sure that I'm in the flow of what God is doing. I didn't want to come in with something canned and then totally ignore what God is doing. And so just trying to be sensitive to what God is doing here today. The first thing I just wanted to tell you is if the inspiration and impartation and information that you're receiving today doesn't translate into some sort of action, this was worthless. And so if this all just results in some sort of vague hope, if this all just results in some sort of uh, momentary comfort, some people like to swallow down faith to sedate them through their life rather than allowing their faith to transport them to another realm of reality. And so what should be happening in your mind right now as I speak is you should be kind of like transliterating the, the, the sermons that you've heard and the concepts that God has been putting out there and taking them out of the atmosphere of vague information and general revelation. And you should be trying to now uh, somehow focus all of these things that God is saying into a practical application in your life. So, so you've got to do it. Whatever he tells you to do, you've got to do it. And I had this moment the other day with my five-year-old. He's into video games right now. And I was trying to explain to him about real video games, you know, back when video games were video games. So I started with Atari, I told him about Pitfall, I told him about Frogger, um, and then I started telling him about the Nintendo Entertainment System, 16-bit graphics, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, um, uh, Donkey Kong, um, uh, Super Mario Brothers, um, uh, Contra, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA start, 30 extra men. I'm telling my kid all this, right? Trying to train him up in the way he should go. And, I'm, and he's real interested, so he's listening, uh, and he's really into it because I'm explaining to him uh, Punch Out and King Hippo, and you got to hit him in the belly. And uh, I'm explaining to him Legend of Zelda, Link goes through the forest, finds the potions. And so I was like, you know what? Maybe I can find this game online and show it to you, Elijah. So I went to YouTube and I put Legend of Zelda in the search box. And um, I had Elijah um, watching this walkthrough of Legend of Zelda. I didn't know such a thing existed. But basically it was like a, a guy set up a video camera and recorded himself playing Legend of Zelda. And so he uh, you know, went through all the levels. And if you never played Legend of Zelda, it's a very complicated game. It took me months and months as a uh, nine or ten year old kid to beat the game. But this guy just beat it perfectly and he took you to all the right places. And so Holly walked in and she's like, What are y'all doing? And I'm like, Oh, well, we're watching Legend of Zelda. And she's like, Legend of Zelda, isn't that a game? And I was like, Yeah, it's a game. And she's like, But you're watching it. And I'm like, Yeah, we're watching somebody play Legend of Zelda. And she was like, So wait a minute. You're watching somebody else play a video game on the computer. That's what you're doing with our son right now. I just want to make sure I understand. Because playing video games, just to begin with, 
is rather sedentary. Like that's already a simulated activity. You're playing a video game. You're not doing anything. But then added to that, I'm not even playing the game. I'm watching somebody play the game. Isn't that like going to a conference sometimes? Like not only are you not doing it, you're watching somebody else not do it, talking about doing it. And if you don't actually do it, what are you doing? Like if all you're going to get, and I'm talking to me because I'm filling up a notebook down there, like, oh, this is so good. Well, what am I going to do about the fact that, that, that I, I desperately need to enlarge my view of suffering? How's that going to change me more than just getting me through another day? What am I going to do with what I've heard? Jesus said it like this. If you hear my words and put them into practice, you're like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The other man who had the house on the sand and the rain came down and the streams rose, floods rose and beat against that house. Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 29. He heard the word but he didn't apply it. Both men heard and you know what's going to happen? You're sitting next to somebody else and you're hearing the same messages today and one of you will do something about it and the other of you will accept it, acknowledge it and do nothing and one of you will go back and be transformed and turn the world upside down for God's glory and I'm praying you would be that one you got to do it. Don't watch somebody do it. Don't simply read about somebody doing it. There comes a time where you've got to step up, Joshua, and say, this is my time to do what God has called me to do. Do it. Turn to somebody next to you and say, do it. I mean, you can go home and discuss it a little bit, but then do it. Do it. We started our second campus after we were about a year and two months old. And we had 30 days lead time. I asked if somebody from LifeChurch.tv would meet with us. We cold called them. Flew out there and asked them about starting a campus. But I don't think they were able to meet with us until after we started it. So we just started it anyway. 30 days, man. In a high school auditorium. Just figure it out. I'm not talking about being reckless. I'm just talking about do it. The other day, I felt like God was prompting me about forgiving someone. And I went into this intense prayer mode, like, should I forgive him, should I not? And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not going to stand before God one day and he's going to drop the hammer on me because I forgave too much. I'm going to just do it. If I'm wrong, at least I'm right in my wrongness. I'm going to do it. Do it. Earlier this year, I felt like God was telling me, you know, this is a significant year for your life. You're turning 30. I want you to fast for 30 days. And I, I was like, ah, I'm not sure if that's, if that's God and I got a lot going on right now and I'm busy. And, and you know what? I did it. I did it. And on the other side of that 30 days, I, I, I'm telling you, there's something about immediate obedience. It's underrated, people. Do it. Have the conversation. Do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Because everything you hear today and everything God plants inside of you is worthless without specific and immediate obedience. Number two, the thing I thought about, just different variety of thoughts that were going through my mind thinking about what we've processed together today. And I've been right there with you listening to every message, so I'm a part of this journey also. I hope some of you aren't writing me off because of my age and listening to me as if I'm some young punk who thinks he knows everything. I come to you in weakness. 
and fear and trembling today, but I want to share with you something. Some of you have lost your ability to believe God with wide-eyed wonder, and God put a young punk on the stage to close this afternoon down to tell you it's time to do it. You lost your resolve to just do it. Just do it. And then there's this idea of whatever he tells you to do, do it. And if you'll notice in John chapter 2, the job that the servants did wasn't very glamorous, and it wasn't easy. They filled up these ceremonial uh, washing containers and carried them, and that's what we would call grunt work. But they did it. And I want to say something to those of you who don't feel like you're your calling is significant and you feel like what God has put in your heart is so small, so minuscule and the part that you play in the vision being accomplished doesn't matter. The most extraordinary moves of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. Don't take for granted the power of ordinary obedience. And so I speak to the person here today who feels stuck and unproductive. And maybe your job is to fill up the jars, and that's all you do. But when the water turns into wine, and you know, I had a part in that miracle because I obeyed Jesus in a small way, there's nothing greater in the world. Don't you take for granted your contribution. Don't take for granted your, your simple, steadfast Faithful obedience. And I speak specifically to those of you who are supporting a senior pastor. You don't stand on the stage and do the fireworks show. You're in the background making things happen. I want to encourage you, whatever God has given you to do, do it. Whatever that is. I don't care how small it seems to you. It's not a small thing. Nothing is insignificant when done for the most significant purpose in the earth, the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It does matter. It is real. And you just got to do it. Whatever he tells you to do. I was talking to my dad the other day. Man, my story couldn't be any different than Pastor Judas. My dad was an alcoholic, a drug addict, and I actually got to lead my dad to Christ. Let me tell you how it happened. Um, I got saved at age 16. My dad's dad killed himself. My dad found his dad dead on his ninth birthday. The day he woke up for his birthday, he finds his dad dead. And I thought that was always really sad, but then my dad told me, no, it was one of the happiest days of our life because he was so abusive. We were so glad to see him go. And so my dad carried all of that, and it's a miracle that he stayed married to my mom, and he was a pretty good dad considering. But when I got saved at age 16, I was just praying. You know, I wrote this book, Sun Stand Still, about audacious faith and big prayers. And I didn't know it at the time, but the first Sun Stand Still prayer I ever prayed was that God would save my dad. And, um, one day we were in the kitchen and we were getting ready to go to church as a family, except my dad. He was going to the par three golf course with his buddies to get drunk, like he did every Sunday. He did every night. And something came over me, man. And I said this not in a cocky or arrogant way, but with humility. I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, I need to tell you something. And keep in mind, I'm a 16-year-old. I think maybe by this time I had turned 17. I'd only been a Christian for a little while. Um... I have my necktie on. I'm getting ready to go to church. I'm so excited about God. I said, Dad, God's about to turn your life upside down. He's about to get a hold of you. He's about to change you in every way you can imagine. And I just wanted you to know that. And I walked off. And my dad didn't tell me at the time, but he told me later he felt sorry for me that day because he was so far gone from God. 
and he was so addicted, and he was so hurt, and he was so lost. Let me just share with you that my freshman year of college, I was preaching a sermon, and when I sat down on the front row for the altar call, my pastor tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, Stephen, you may want to look down there at the altar. And I saw my dad at the altar, six foot two, 270 pounds at the time, giving his life to Christ. Now, here's what I wanted you to know about his story. He went on to memorize Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, the entire book of James, the entire book of Philippians. He is an eighth grade dropout. And I sat down with my dad the other day, and he said, I want to thank you, son, because you stopped in the kitchen one day, and you told me that God was going to change my life. And I didn't even believe you at the time. I didn't even know it was possible. But thank you for believing in me when I couldn't believe for myself. And you've got to, you've got to understand... There are powerful, powerful things inside of you, and you can't be afraid to speak it, and you can't be afraid to go for it. And I know this feels kind of like a pep rally where I'm telling you, you can do it, just go do it, and I don't know what you're walking back home into, but let me just be the guy for a few minutes, okay? You have enough tensions and enough realities and and enough struggles and, and, and enough circumstances to deal with when you go home. Just for this moment right now, can we believe together for a moment that nothing is impossible with God that all things are possible with God that if you have faith like a mustard seed you can move a mountain can we believe this again I'm looking at some of you and I'm like I don't know if you believe me or not you might just think this is my gig this is my shtick and you're yawning through this but I'm telling you God can make the sun stand still I've seen it my dad started a homeless ministry my dad became a Sunday school teacher my dad Dad was in church watching me preach this past weekend. My dad should be dead, but I spoke a sentence and God used it to redirect his life. What could he do through your obedience? What could he do through your initiative? You have the power of Jesus Christ by virtue of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And I want to wake you up one more time to your potential today. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And do it like you've got good sense. And if they ask you what you're doing, tell them, Jesus told me to. That's the only line you need when you go back home. Jesus told me to. But we're never going to be able to pay for that. But Jesus told me to. So he's going to have to figure that out. The offering sucked at my church last week. Horrible. It was worse than that. We gave away 6,000 copies of our worship CD the week before. And we said, thank you for being a generous church. Because you're so generous, we're going to be able to give away 6,000 CDs. Everybody cheered. And the next week, nobody gave. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with that. I was depressed, and I was like praying about it, and I was like, God, if you want me to keep building these these buildings and adding these staff members, you're just going to have to pay for this. This is your thing. You tell me what to do, and I'll do it, but you got to back me up. That's why I love the sun stand still miracle. It's in Joshua 10. You need to read it later. I was going to preach about it today. I'm tired of it because I'm having to preach it all the time right now, and it's a great miracle, but I'm kind of, I'm just a little weary right now. I need a break. So I wanted to do something different. But in Joshua chapter 10, Joshua commands the sun to stand still in front of the whole nation. So if it doesn't work, everybody knows. He doesn't pray it in secret. I think one of the greatest things you can do out of this environment is verbally commit to somebody who can hold you accountable to what God told you to do. Whatever he tells you to do. Like if he's calling you to fast for an extended period of time, do it immediately. Right now. 
Whatever he tells you to do. If he tells you, you know what God's telling some of you and you don't want to listen and you want to like play it off and you want to focus on something more theological that doesn't have practical implication to your life right now. What God is telling some of you to do isn't to like redesign your logo. He's telling you to fire somebody. And he's telling you that there's somebody in, in the ministry who's not going to get there and they're holding the ministry back and you're sacrificing the destiny of thousands by clinging to your need for this one person. And so God's telling you, go home, have the painful, painful conversation. You need to do it. You need to let them go. You need to walk through it. Here's what I wanted to let some of you know today that are, that are facing a painful relational shift or a costly personal sacrifice right now. I wanted to tell you that God's past performance is the best predictor of his future ability. See, we get into this freak out mode when God tells us to do something and we start thinking that like, well, if they leave, then it's going to fall apart. And here's what God's shown me. I've only been at this a short time compared to some of you, and you could take the mic and say this way better than I could. But your destiny is not connected to anybody who leaves your life. And so God's going to put everything in your life to do everything he's called you to do that you'll ever need. Notice this. I said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And this is the thing you need to be really careful about because if you mix this up, like I, I was thinking about how Francis Chan quit his church, doesn't know what he's doing next, and we were trying to talk to him about this at dinner. I'd never met him before. And I was trying to figure out, so what's the real plan? What are you really going to do next? And he's like, no, I really don't know. He really doesn't know what he's going to do next. And here's what's going to happen in this conference. Some of you are going to hear Francis Chan being like, I sold my house, and uh, I don't know where I'm going to live next, and, uh, and we're just going to trust God, and we don't even have any, anywhere to move in. And so you're going to go home and try to do something like that, and, and, and your wife's going to divorce you. <laughs> whatever he tells you to do, do it. Not whatever he tells Francis to do, do it. So you're like, oh, man, well, he stood up and left his church because God told him to. Maybe the most, maybe the most faith-filled thing you could do is to stay in that church. See, you got to do what he tells you to do. You've got to embrace your uniqueness. Back to an old school Bible story. David and Goliath, remember? They, they fitted David with the, the, the king's best artillery. And David walks around a few practice laps, and, and he turns to Saul and he says, I appreciate the armor, but I can't go in these because I'm not used to them. Give me my rocks and my slingshot. I can use those. If you'll give me my rocks and my slingshot, I'll believe in the same God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, and he'll take this giant down too. So I want to say to you today, there is a unique, specific instruction that God is giving to you. Do it. Do it. Don't you dare leave here trying to mimic somebody else's miracle. Imitate their faith, but never mimic their miracle. Let me share, a, I don't know if this is going to help you or not, but it really helped me think through some things about, you know, trusting God and faith. And um, Is this helpful, by the way? Is there, can, we, can we take a moment just right where you are and get it in your mind one more time? What is the dominant thing that God is telling you to do through everything you've heard? And man, before I came out here, I do this every time I preach, but I did it in a special way. I came out, I stopped, I get down on my knees, and maybe this will help some of you pastors. I take a little bottle of anointing oil, and I touch my feet, 
And I, um, I quote scripture and I say, um, thank you, Lord, that my feet are fitted with the gospel of peace. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them that bring good news. Thank you, Father, that I bring good news to these people today. And then I put, I put my hand right here and I said, Father, I thank you that you've not given me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. I put my hand on my heart and I said, Father, according to 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. From my heart flow the issues of life. Purify my heart. Give me the motives of Christ. Don't let me go out there with that microphone to try to impress somebody. Help me to help somebody. Somebody who feels like giving up. Somebody who doesn't know what to do next. And I touch my mind and say, Father, I thank you that I have the mind of Christ. I touch my eyes and I say, God, as I look out over these people, help me to perceive the prophetic potential of what their specific situation could accomplish if fully surrendered to you for your glory. And I touched my mouth and I said, I thank you that according to Isaiah 55, your word will not return to you void, but it will accomplish that which you sent it to do. And I thank you that as the rain falls from the heavens and waters the earth, so shall your word be that proceeds forth from my mouth today. It will accomplish what you send it to do. And then I touched my ears and I said, Father, I thank you that my voice, that your voice is clear to me and the voice of a stranger I will not follow. Then I lift my hands like this and I say, I lift my eyes to the hills Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Thank you, Father, that you will not suffer my foot to be moved. The Lord which keepeth me will not slumber nor sleep. The Lord is my keeper. The Lord is my shade upon my right hand. The sun shall not smite me by day nor the moon by night. You'll preserve my soul even forevermore. And then I came out here and I grabbed this microphone and I decided to care less whether or not you're impressed by what I share with you today. Because at the end of the day, if all you're going to watch me do is beat Zelda, but you don't know what to do when you get home, all we've done is come here together and created a cacophony of sound. But God has got to translate this into the specific action that he wants you to take. And I believe with all of my heart that some of you are one painful decision away from seeing God's glory break forth in your life. One costly sacrifice away. One faith initiative away from seeing God's glory break forth in your life. And here's what I love about God's word. I'm going to close with this thought. In both of these scenarios, and you could really trace this through the Bible, right? The feeding of the 5,000, especially the miracles of Jesus. Jesus sent someone to do something that he had essentially already done. Like the feeding of the 5,000, it says that Jesus asked, where are we going to get enough bread to feed all these people? But he already had in mind what he was going to do. The water turned into wine. Jesus is ordering these guys around. He doesn't give them a whole lot of detail, but he already knows what his plan is to transform the wine. In this thing with the donkey, you know, the donkey's tied up and these guys have to go jack somebody's donkey and everybody's standing around like, what are you doing? And he's like, Jesus told me to. Yeah, of course he did. What are you doing taking the donkey? No, we'll bring it back shortly. Jesus knew where the donkey would be. He had plans to return it. All of it was covered. And so here's what I wanted to tell you as we close this afternoon today, okay? And this will encourage you and this will bless you and this will give you the courage to do it. And by the way, you don't need enough courage and faith to finish. You just need enough faith to get started. All you need is faith for the first step. 
If you'll take the first step, even if you fall down on the water, Peter, he's right there to catch you. So what does it matter? All you need is faith for the first step. And this will help you take your first step. Okay, I'm talking about do it. And whatever he tells you to do, do it. And up to this point, it could sound like I'm telling you to like screw your courage to the sticking place and do it in your own power and go out and fight. And it sounds like this is like a, a legalistic message about how you've got to do it and you've got to obey God because if you don't, everybody's going to hell and people are going to starve. This is what I wanted you to know. Do it like it's already done because it is. The colt is already tied up just where Jesus said it would be. He already has plans and provision even though everybody else is freaking out about the the wine being out of supply. So when you go back to do it, to make the shift, to initiate the thing, to raise the money, to, to institute the outreach, do it like it's already done. Now this will change your perspective. If you're doing it like it's already done, you can have confidence That on the other side, when you get there, after the meantime, when you get to the place where God is calling you, when you get to the place that he is preparing you for, you'll find that he's already prepared it for you. Do it like it's already done. And you know what what, uh, helped me put this in perspective the other day? Um, I was watching uh, an old episode of The Office, and the severe weather alert came up on the screen. Now, I was watching this thing on a Saturday morning, and we had church that night. And so I'm like, oh, great. People aren't going to come to church because in my town, I mean, people are just looking for an excuse to miss church. And so if it rains, we drop by 65% that week. And so I'm like, oh, great. Attendance is going to be down. I had this important message. And then it hit me. This has already happened. Like I'm watching the playback of something that's already happened. There's no storm coming today. This is pre-recorded. This is on my DVR. I don't have to freak out about this. How much would that change your life if you realize the thing you're worrying about, the storm you're stressing about, Jesus who sits outside of time and who isn't controlled by what freaks us out is superintending it and he's already won. He already rose from the grave. He already poured out supply. He's already made a way. He's already decided what he's going to do. Do it like it's already done. He's faithful. This thing never got started because of your faith to begin with. The entire Bible is the storyline of a faithful God performing on behalf of a faithless people. So if all you have is a little bit of faith, get out the boat. He'll catch you and escort you back. Just do what he says right now. God's word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, not a floodlight to show you a 100 yards away. Take the next step. Do what he tells you to do and do it like he's already accomplished whatever he's calling you to accomplish because it's a faithful God moving in response to the needs of sometimes faithless children. Remember, it was a faithful God who made provision for Adam and Eve after they directly disobeyed his command in the garden. It was a faithful God pulled a man named Noah out of a corrupt generation, built this ark, and God preserved humanity. Faithful, faithful God, a faithful God who found a faithless man named Abram in Ur of the Chaldeans. Out of him, he made a nation, and it was a faithful God 
who preserved that nation in Egypt through a man named Joseph who wept bitterly through betrayal after betrayal after betrayal as a faithful God who raised up a shepherd named Moses who was tending his father-in-law's flock. Could there be a worse job in the world and a bush catches on fire and the presence of God ignites that ordinary opportunity and he leads the people out but Moses can't get them in but it was a faithful God who raised up a man named Joshua after a faithless generation died off in the desert and it is a faithful God who took them into the land and it was a faithful God who raised up judges even after the people got caught in the spin cycle of disobedience time after time it was a faithful God who brought them out with a strong hand, with an outstretched arm as a faithful God. you got to think about this thing because if you leave here and your faith is in your faith, your faith will sometimes fail you. If your faith is in your feelings, your feelings are going to fluctuate. If your faith is in the opportunity that's before you, that opportunity might go away. Don't build your faith on the floodplains of what you feel. Don't, don't build your faith on what you see. Build your faith on higher ground. It was a faithful God who raised up David to be the greatest king that Israel had ever known after Saul began to disobey him and lose his natural mind. It was a faithful, faithful God who sent his son into the world at the appointed time, born of a virgin. It was a faithful God who sent him to the cross, resurrected him on the third day. It was a faithful God that came down in his, in his glorious form of fire on the day of Pentecost and poured out his spirit so that the gospel would advance to every continent on every corner of the globe. So when you leave here after this thing is all said and done and you're standing face to face with Goliath and you're looking at what's ahead of you, look at what God's already done and place your faith in the faithfulness of God and whatever he tells you to do, do it. If it looks ridiculous, do it. If they laugh at you, do it. If they leave you, do it. If it hurts, do it. If you have to cry yourself to sleep some nights because you're lonely and nobody understands, do it. Do it. Do it. If it costs you financially, do it. If you have to patiently wait for the promise to come to pass, do it, do it, do it. What is he telling you to do? Whatever it is, do it. If it seems too small to matter, do it. If it seems too big to accomplish, do it. If it seems outside the realm of your expertise, get somebody else to do it. If it seems like there's a possibility that you won't make it out of this one alive, even if you die, to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. Whatever he's telling you to do, do it. And based on his faithfulness, his promises will come to pass. There's nothing more powerful than a promise from God. There's nothing more powerful than a promise from God. I was 16 years old when I read a sentence in a book that changed my life. Pastor Jim Sembla, Brooklyn Tabernacle, wrote about all the things that God had done through that church. Drug addicts delivered from their addiction. Marriages restored. The city transformed, and I was mesmerized by it. And I came to page 23, and I came across this sentence that said, I despaired at the thought 
that my life might pass me by without God moving greatly on our behalf. And somehow in my soul, I, I knew that what God wanted to do with my life, I was a junior in high school, what God wanted to do with my life was use me to start a church for people far from God in a big city. I didn't know how, I didn't know when. I had never heard of church planting. I had no idea about structures. My dad wasn't a successful businessman, let alone a pastor. But you know what I did? I had enough faith to just take the first step. And after I graduated college, my wife and I approached this one other couple, and we said, hey, we think God is calling us to start a church. We do it with us. Where are we going to do it? I don't know. How are we going to get people to come? I'm not sure. How are we going to pay for it? No idea. And they said, all right, we'll do it. And we're doing it. But you know what's interesting to me? From God's perspective, it's already done. I'm just walking out the plan that he established all along. I encourage you today because some of you feel so lost. You feel so confused. And you know what? All of the speakers haven't helped. It's just confusing it more. Now it's really, really cloudy. One thing, what's he telling you to do right now? Go in the strength you have. Go in the light of the revelation you have. Take the first step on the water and trust him that when you start to sink because it's windy out there and the waves are raging, he's going to catch you. Father, I thank you today for your powerful promises. I look back over my life, and I see that the story of my life hasn't been my skill, my acumen, my ability. I know that right now you're speaking very specifically to men and women across this auditorium about personal sacrifices, about relational shifts, about faith initiatives that scare them to death. God, give them the insight to tune into the frequency of your voice and hear what you're telling them to do. Specific instruction. Give them the courage and the faith to obey, to take the first step. We believe that according to your word in Ephesians 3.20, you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. Everybody in this house, I want you to stand to your feet for just a moment. You can look at me. my favorite verse in the Bible, Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. According to his power which works mightily in us, to him be the glory through Christ Jesus in the church now and forevermore. You know what that verse tells me about whatever God is telling you to do? Whatever you think he's telling you to do, it's bigger than you think it is. You think he's given you a big vision, what he wants to accomplish through you is bigger now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or even imagine according to his power. I pray in the strong name of Jesus that he would enable you, empower you, encourage you, and that for his glory, you would do it. Not one day, not if it all comes together, not when everybody agrees with you and understands you. Do it do it now for his glory in his strength in Jesus name amen